compliment Daryl and this congregation for Kathy and I experienced during vacation Bible school this year helping out some, some of the most sweetest, helpful, considerate children that we've ever run into in a church. So take a bow, folks. Give these guys a big hand. Appreciate you young people sitting on the front row. You will be looking at me and giving me, uh, giving me energy to go, okay? Smile at me every now and then. Stick your tongue out at me if you need to. Whatever you need to do. Glad you're here, okay? Birthdays. You like birthdays? I like birthdays. But you know, birthdays can become kind of bland. I mean, what in the world do I buy a woman that I've lived with for 51 years? And what does she need? I don't think I bought her anything last year. I think we just go on trips. That's the kind of thing we do. And if you've got a 16-year-old, 15-year-old, what in the world do you buy them? What do they need? Oh, yeah, how about that Maserati? <laughs> that uh, Corvette convertible? Huh? That ain't happening. Forget it, okay? On one particular birthday, a, a woman decided she'd give her husband a very special gift, something extraordinary, out of, not, not usual. And so she rented a hot air balloon ride. Now, you have to admit that's a pretty cool, unusual thing. It's something you don't do every day, go on a hot air balloon ride, right? Well, on the big day of the ride, they arrived at the field where the balloon was waiting. They got into a small basket with another couple, began to make some small talk as a young kid, and he was a kid getting ready to take this thing off. And as the balloon lifted slowly off the ground, a magnificent view of the Pacific Ocean and a beautiful craggy canyon below became evident when suddenly an emotion popped up in this guy's mind that he didn't anticipate. Fear. Now let me be honest with you, I've had a private pilot's license for 20 plus years and I like the sound of an engine at 3,000 feet, 125 miles per hour, that's just me. And the idea of pumping hot air, air, a fire going up into a balloon just doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence, okay? That, now that's just me, maybe, maybe you're different, I don't know. And then add to the fact that the man was expecting the basket to be about waist high and that thing was knee high. white knuckles. He had to hold one of those ropes tied to the balloon and he wasn't going to let go. Continuing the story, the man began to feel a little bit better. He probably shouldn't have, but he felt a little bit better when he realized his wife was scared more than he was. And so he said, dear, you, you know, look, look down here. Look at there. There's a horse ranch. Look at all those beautiful horses down there. To which she responded without looking down or looking either direction. Yes, it really is beautiful. Well, finally, the man decided, well, I'll assure myself and perhaps my wife a little bit more by, by talking to this kid who's flying the balloon. I'll ask him, you know, what, what, how did you get into flying balloons? And I, and I hope that he would say something like, you know, I had a job and I was really responsible and all this kind of stuff. And so I asked the kid, I said, well, what made you begin to fly hot air balloons? And he said, dude, it's like this. Kid went on to say, well, you know, one day me and my brother were riding around in the countryside in my pickup truck. I was about half drunk. I crashed that thing, injured my brother real bad. He couldn't walk around, so we sat around on the beach and watched these balloons go over. And some, one day I decided, I think I want to fly one. And here I am. <laughs> and by the way, I have never flown this balloon, and I'm not sure exactly how it's going to come down. It might be a little choppy, so hang on. Now, the man's wife looked at him and said, and this, these are her exact words, 
You mean to tell me we're a thousand feet in the air with an unemployed surfer who started flying hot air balloons because he got drunk, crashed his pickup engine, his brother has never flown this one, not sure how we're going to get down. Is that about the size of it? One question comes into my mind right now, and one question came into the mind of that guy, and probably the couple who's with them that's hearing all this, and that is, can I trust this kid? Can I trust this pilot to get us down? Every day you and I take another leg on our journey in this giant balloon that is uh, cruising across this vast universe. And by the way, you only get one trip. This is it, one trip. And I think most of us, you know, take this trip called life and we, 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 we like a little bit of adventure, don't you? A little bit, maybe take a little bit of a risk. Some of you are risk takers more than others. We have a couple who lives next door to us, has three children. One of them is uh, Evelyn, one of them is Henry, and one of them is Daphne. And Daphne's about this tall, and she's the risk taker. They have to watch her. She's going to do it. I guarantee you got one like that, don't you? Yeah. Well, I like to take risks, but I also know that sometimes life can be pretty uncertain. And I wish the walls of my basket were just a little bit higher than knee high. And wondering at times how the ride's going to end up, and wondering how that descent is really going to be. And the question that comes to mind, if you haven't asked it, you'll be asking it. A lot of people are still asking it. Is there somebody piloting this thing? Is there somebody at the helm of this balloon, this thing we call life, this one-time journey through this fantastic place that we call Earth? Is there somebody really piloting this thing? And if they are, are they competent? What kind of character are they? If they're not very competent, I'd kind of like to get off. But we can't. Every person hearing my voice this morning is part of the human story, a story that at least in part, at times, deals with faith, and at times deals with a lot of bit of fear. Perhaps the greatest story ever told in the Bible about faith and fear is the one about Peter. A lot of stories about Peter, but this story, I think, is one of the best one that illustrates faith and fear. Peter stepped out of a boat in the midst of a raging storm, and he walked on water. What led Peter to get out of that boat? What goes into making a water walker? And the question I'll ask today several times is, can you be a water walker? Can you get out of the boat? After all, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Number one, and I'm supposed to be doing the PowerPoint, so let me see if I can do it. I'm not very good at PowerPoint, but uh, let me try and see what happens here. Yay, number one, water walkers recognize the presence of God. Peter and his friends got in a boat late one afternoon, probably getting near dark, and they started out across the Sea of Galilee. And when you say across the Sea of Galilee, we're not talking, you know, 17 miles long. We're talking they were over probably in the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, probably somewhere near where the Jordan River comes in, a little hideout they had over there, a little place of rest. And they start out, and, and, and they're, they're, the Father, Jesus is not with them. He goes and talks with the Father, and these men are out there on their own. But they're not really scared. I mean, Peter and a couple of other guys had fished on this Sea of Galilee all their life. Many times they'd been there, probably even some storms but apparently nothing like this storm. This was not a small squall. This was a storm. As a matter of fact, the book of Matthew says that the wind and the waves were tormenting the boat, trying to tear that boat to pieces. 
a storm so violent they could probably barely keep that thing upright. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you, at that point, those disciples wished the sides of that boat were a little bit deeper, a little bit higher, and they wished the wood was perhaps a little bit thicker. I would. By 3 a.m., it's the fourth watch of the night. They're trying to survive this storm, and all of a sudden, one of the disciples sees a figure, a shadowy figure coming across the water towards them. Now, I, don't, I can only imagine what they were thinking. They are tired. They are worn out. They've been fighting this storm for hours now. We know the shadow, as it became closer, was a figure of a man. It was a man walking on top of the water. And of course, from the story that we read, we have the benefit of reading the story before anyone else, you know, we know it's Jesus. At first they cried out, though, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. They were scared to death. One might wonder why they didn't recognize this shadow as Jesus. I mean, that, what, shouldn't they have recognized it as Jesus? Who else in the world could walk on water than Jesus. I mean, after all, they've been with him for, what, maybe a year or so now. They're in the Galilee. This is the beginning of his ministry. He's called the Twelve. He, they've been with him, watching him heal the sick and the blind and everything else. Why wouldn't they have thought this was Jesus? But when you think about it, when you find ourselves in our storms, when our boat is being rocked and the waves are about to put us under, at least we think they are, are we any better at recognizing his presence than they are? Do we look to Jesus immediately, or do we look to something else? And by the way, what in the world was Jesus doing in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee at 3 o'clock in the morning? What's he doing out there? Often the Bible is our best commentary, and so let's see what we can get some commentary here if I hit the right button. Wrong button. Yeah, right button. And so I want you to turn, if you have, or you read up here, Mark chapter 6, 47 through 48. And Mark tells us, and I'm not going to read it. You can read it up there. I'll keep it a little bit there, and I'll go to the next one here in a moment. But Mark tells us that Jesus meant to. He intended to. He intended to pass by the boat. He saw them. He knew what was going on. But he was going to stroll right past them. There's a Greek verb here that you probably don't know, but... Probably won't remember it, but let me say it to you anyway. I can't pronounce it very well, but parakomai, and it means to pass by. And when you find this verb used in the translation of the Old Testament into the Greek around 200 B.C., which is called the LXX, 70 men supposedly did it. It's really called the Septuagint version. Often this verb is used as a kind of a technical term for a theophany. Now, a theophany is not a word you use very often either, but you hear the word God in there, theos and ophany. And, and so it basically is a presentation of God on this earth for a temporary moment so he can call somebody to do something, call a group to do something, or maybe a commu communicate a message. You know this, but you don't really know you know it. You remember Moses was put in the cleft of a rock? And God put him in the cleft of rocks and said, I'm going to pass by you, Moses. And the glory of God passed by Moses. And it was, so, it was so amazing that when Moses came down off the mountain, they still couldn't look at him. The glory of God was emanating from him. Elijah was told to go stand on the mountain, or I'm going to pass by you, Elijah. These have characteristics that are the same. And that is, we find here in each one of these stories that God is trying to get people's attention, trying to tell them something, trying to show them something, whether it's in a burning bush, 
whether it's in wind and rain or fire or walking on water. So in this case, Jesus is walking on water intending to pass them by and he's not performing some kind of magic trick, but rather he is revealing his divine presence and power. Only God can do such a thing. Only God treads upon the waves. I'd also point out that in Mark's gospel, this event occurs pretty close immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. The 5,000 men, there were more than 5,000. There were women and children as well. There's a good crowd here. And, and right after in the book of Mark, this occurs, the walking on the water, because just before that, these 5,000 fighting men, they tried to make him king. Don't tell me those 12 didn't realize he had power. He could heal the sick, make the lame to walk, the blind to see. Surely he could get rid of Romans. So 5,000 men are gathered there. You may not know the story, but in one story, they'd, they'd come in from a great victory. Seventy of them went out, they'd heal the sick. And, and Jesus said, let's have some R&R. &R. Let's go over here and rest a while. And I think they went to their private place over in the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. It was very wooded that day and time, right near the Jordan River. Peter and James and John grew up around there fishing the site And you couldn't convince me otherwise. I believe the 12, or at least some of the 12, were complicit in drawing this crowd. They were wanting to move Jesus on. It's time to leave the Galilee. It's time to go to Rome. It's time to go to Jerusalem and throw the Romans out of town and get Israel back to where it belongs, at least in their mindset. And Jesus was showing them a little bit more of who is piloting this ship. Who's riding, who, who's, who's, uh, who's piloting this boat? It's me. I'm God. You don't run ahead of God. You don't try to get ahead of God's mission, the one that I'm planning, that I'm leading you to fulfill when I leave. That's what Jesus was doing. And he said to them, take courage. It's me. Well, the storms of life, problems, traumas, we all face from time to time. They have a way of teaching what nothing else can do. Someone could try to tell you something and teach you something, but until something happens to you and you experience, you really don't get it. If you haven't, you will experience situations where your life will change. Your mindset will change. Your behavior will change. I never will forget, young people, when I realized my dad was smarter than I am. Right now, most of you think you're smarter than your parents. Well, probably don't. You're good kids. I've already complimented them. Now I'm, now I'm insulting them, Daryl. What's wrong with me? But some of you, I'll bet you think you know more than your parents, right? Go like this. For, yeah, I see it. They, they're honest. There'll come a time when you realize you, you really weren't, and you're not. Boot camp is an experience that I think can be described, whether it's Army, military, uh, Air Force, Marines, whatever. It's an experience that I think you can call a controlled trauma. I mean, every day there was some trauma in my boot camp. Somebody was doing something wrong, bed was thrown over, drawers were thrown open, the bed wasn't made right. One trauma after another. And it was designed, though, to teach us obedience, camaraderie, teamwork, loyalty. It may just be that these disciples were being taught a lesson by God and this storm was God's way of putting them into a controlled trauma. But yet, 
Unfortunately, they still didn't quite get it. They didn't quite understand yet the water-walking flesh of the Son of God was upon them. Twelve disciples sat in that boat. I don't know what 11 of them did. I suspect they were scared to death. They were probably in, in wonder and awe, and I don't know what they did or what they said. But one of them, a guy named Peter, was about to become a water walker. He recognized God's presence, perhaps. I'm not sure if he totally understood it. Any more than when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. You know, God helped him with that a little bit too. But Peter realized perhaps this was an extraordinary opportunity to go on an adventure with the Son of God, with Jesus, who's standing on the water and calling me. Uh-oh, went the wrong way? No, I didn't. What's that say? I think I got ahead of myself. Anyway, no worry, I got it right here. Peter blurted out, Lord, if it's you, command me, and I'll come to you. You see, water walkers discern. Let me see if I can back up and find it. Yeah, water walkers discern between faith and fear. And so I think Matthew added this part in the story, uh, not just for the sake of risk-taking. Peter was not just risk-taking to be a risk-taker. The story is primarily about obedience. And I think the lesson for us is we need to sometimes make sure we're getting an authentic call from God rather than jumping out on some foolish impulse of our own. We need to talk to God ourselves. Peter's ask is not an act of risk-taking, but it is an extreme act of discipleship. Again, like Peter, we need to make sure God is calling us before we get out of that boat. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, command me. I kind of think Jesus might have smiled a little bit and thought to himself, wow, here's somebody that at least gets a little bit of it. Not only Peter had enough faith to believe that God could share in this venture with him, but he decided that he wanted to be a part of history that day and become a water walker. Now I want you to put yourself in Peter's place just for a few minutes. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. You're in a boat with waves crashing against it, trying to tear it to pieces. You're scared to death. You're in a gale force wind. And you suddenly have an insight into what Jesus is doing. The Lord is passing you by. He's inviting you to join him on the water. What would you do? What would you choose? The boat? Where there's certainly some security, some safety in the boat. Or would you choose the water where there doesn't appear to be any safety out in the water at all? If you don't get out of the boat, you won't drown. But if you don't get out of the boat, neither will you walk with Jesus. The immutable law, let me see if I can do this again. The immutable law of nature is if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Is there something inside of you, is there something inside of me that pushes me or causes me or stirs me to want to, to do something for the Lord, to take a, a little risk every now and then? You know, there are lots of folks who go through life and they go through their church service, worship to the Lord, their service to God trying only to avoid failure. If we're only trying to avoid failure, we're on defense all the time, we never get on offense. And we've got to get on offense, Lord, for the Lord, folks. But surely there's more to life than just playing defense, just sitting in the boat. What would it take to get you to leave the comfort of your routine existence and take a chance on some adventure that God is calling you to do? What's your boat? What's my boat?
I think our boat is whatever represents safety and security apart from God. What do you put your trust in when life gets a little bit stormy? Well, my boat, your boat, is anything that keeps me so comfortable that I'm not willing to take a chance and walk on that water. I'm hearing every day, you're probably hearing it as well if you listen to talk radio some, it gets boring after a while, same old stuff. But anyway, we listen to it, we watch TV, and, and we see that they're telling us you need to have three months' food uh, stashed away. Why? Because we're going to run out of food this year. That troubles me a bit. I like to eat. And then I hear others that millions of people are going to be starving to death because we're going to get rid of fossil fuel and, and, and we're going to get rid of fertilizers that allow farmers to produce 30% more than they otherwise could. So people are going to starve to death all over the world. That gives me some pause as well. Is there anything that you feel God is calling you to do and you're not comfortable about doing it? I wonder what Peter felt like that first step Knowing the Bible, Peter is described as an impetuous one who always seems to have his foot in his mouth, always getting ahead of the Lord when he shouldn't. And I doubt that Peter, let's see if I can get this one up, I doubt that Peter's first step was like that of Indiana Jones. You remember Indiana Jones going to get the Holy Grail? What was his first step like in that invisible pathway? Oh, thank you, Lord. I really don't envision Peter doing that. I kind of envision Peter running to the side of the boat. Is that you, Lord? And jumping out and striding right out toward him. Your boat may be secrecy. You may have a secret this morning. You're hooked on porn. You've been thinking about an adulterous situation. Pretty comfortable as long as it's secret. Your boat this morning might be success. That was the problem with the rich young ruler. He went away from Jesus sad because he had lots and lots of money. You aren't worried about anything. You've got a big 401k, a big old house, two cars, money in the bank. What are you worried about? Success. Let me tell you something. All the money in the world will not give you the security and the safety that you find walking with Jesus Christ, whether it's on water or whether it's on land. What keeps us from sharing the gospel with our friends? What are we afraid of? What keeps us from shrinking? Or what keeps us shrinking back from fully engaging God and following some of these pathways that He leads us on? There's one last thought I want to share with you this morning. And that is, water walkers expect problems. It may be that I'm wrong about Peter's first response. Instead of headlong diving over the side of the boat to walk to Jesus, he might have placed one foot gingerly over the side of the boat and holding on to the side of the boat with that other hand and the bare knuckles that our balloonist had. He might have had one foot on the surface of the water and waiting for Jesus to say something to him. He's perched on the edge of surrendering to the Lord God of heaven and the power of Jesus. His eyes are focused on Jesus like a laser beam and then all of a sudden, he lets go. And for a few moments, how long it was, I don't know, he's beaming with pride and joy and he's walking straight for Jesus with his eyes on Jesus. How far did he walk? 20 feet, 20 yards, 100 yards? I don't know. The point is that he walked. We all know what it's like to see the wind, don't we? And Peter saw the wind. 
He knew it was there. He'd been battling it all night. The ship was about to be blown away. He knew what the wind was. And we know what the wind is too. We see the wind around us all the time. We watch our parents slip off into another world as they slowly decline in health. I think about that quite a bit as age is kind of catching up on me. You wouldn't think I'm 49, but I'm getting old. That's funny. He's supposed to laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Come on. But I think about it. And we too know the possibility of our loved ones, even some of these children, God forbid, could be killed in an accident. We know the wind. We know the fragility of the mind that becomes so confused and emotions worn so thin that a terrible mistake of suicide can happen in our families. We realize relationships can be broken beyond compare, repair. We see the evil that exists in our world. I, I just hardly cannot watch TV anymore. I don't know what evil can be perpetrated tomorrow that wasn't as bad as yesterday. And I don't understand how someone can do these things and be in jail for 10 minutes and gone. They're on the street again. To do, I don't understand that. What's this world going to look like for my grandchildren in 2075? My great-grandchildren in 2100? What's it going to look like? It troubles me greatly. But water walkers... They know they have problems. They know the storms are part of living in this world. And water walkers, when the storms come, they focus like a laser beam on Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sent by His heavenly Father to die on the cross for your salvation and my salvation. That's where I want to focus. Whatever's happening in my life, whatever's happening to me, my children, my grandchildren, that's the focus on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, Many of us have our feet on the surface of the water, but we just can't find the strength to let go. Let me challenge you, let me challenge me this morning to get the strength and the courage to get out of the boat and walk with Jesus. These three things we've talked about this morning. And so I asked the question of myself and you this morning, where are you today? Are you firmly ensconced in the boat? You've got both feet in the hull of that boat and you ain't going nowhere? You've got your secrecy, you've got your success that you're holding on to? Are you focused on the safety nets of the world? Some of you may have that one foot on the surface of the water right now. There may be one or more in this very assembly this morning that have been thinking about surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. You've got that foot on the water. It's time to let go. It's time to let go and get out of that aisle and come forward today and say, I want to walk with Jesus. I'm getting on the water with Jesus. I've got faith in Jesus. I want to be baptized into Jesus Christ for remission of my sins. I want to walk with Him all the days of my life. Maybe someone else in this audience, you've been relying on success, secrecy. God knows. We may not know, but God knows. It may be time to get off your duff and get up here and, and come back to the Lord. Someone in our audience, online today, call us. <laughs> Sound like us, that lawyer, don't it? Call me, Alabama. No, call us. Call Hoover Church of Christ. And one of these ministers, one of these people, one of these elders in this congregation will come to you. Kyle has prepared a song. He's going to make his way up here. If you've got any needs at all this morning, we can help you in any way. Come while he leads us in this song. Stand and sing, please. You've been to Jesus.